<laughs> yep, it worked. It worked. Okay, great. It, it spammed a message at me that this emoji doesn't work here because it's from a different <laughs> server. So <laughs> apparently, some server, there's a colon Craig colon emoji. Colon, colon Craig, Craigy colon. Hi, colons. Are we getting any echo? Probably not. Maybe. Check, check. Apparently, it's some server you're in because it's not giving me any trouble with that. Yeah, I, I, I see it just fine. And Sabrina's here. Sabrina, you want to jump in because you had actually a thing to say, like right away, that I feel was probably, I don't know, definitional maybe. I don't know. That's it, it, it. I don't know. The topic's kind of weird. So if, if we want to just like start describing the topic and a little bit. Mm, hot chocolate's amazing. Okay. I can't argue that. We should probably... Hello, welcome to another episode of Play Forward. We are starting with our usual level of efficiency. Uh, today we're talking about esoteric landscapes and how uh, working on RPGs has fucked all of, our, all of ours over. Or not. And with me we have Catrice. Hi! We have Rob. Mm -hmm. We might have Mark. I'm not sure. Hello. Okay. We also have Sabrina in the comments, but uh, first we're gonna get first we're gonna have Rob say what he means by this to for everybody who doesn't immediately know what this means. Yes. Hi. Well, so uh, what I mean by this? Uh, what is an esoteric landscape? Good question. Uh, I'm talking about the textures of our inner world that are informed by our vocabulary and grammar. Uh, this is sort of like how, how, how we think and speak about things shapes how we feel and interact with those things. And I have been noticing that a non-trivial part of my vocabulary and grammar are derived. And there have been times in my life where this has been more true than it is now, but uh, the way I categorize things and the way I think of things and the way my thoughts are ordered uh, tended to use RPG vocabulary and grammar. Like there were, I, and I've, I've noticed a lot of people doing this lately in social media. Not that I'm really paying a lot of close attention, but it, it's filtered up enough. So I've noticed people talking about like, you know, going on a quest, but referencing referencing like hero archetype stuff in in their daily life stuff, right? So like the mundane things of their daily life become this sort of uh, uh, a quest thing, motivated by the goal of whatever they feel the goal is, right? So so maybe it's just getting to the end of the day and. Uh, having all the work done that you plan to have done. Maybe that would be it, right? And then you conceptualize it as steps in an RPG and you go do fetch quests and stuff like that or whatever, however you want it. And I've seen oh. people do that. But I've also heard of people categorizing other people, like something that I definitely did before I knew about archetypes was uh, categorize people by their vampire clan. 
So like this person feels more like a gangrel to me. Like they have a sort of wild energy about them. And I didn't understand what I was like referencing there, but it's sort of their combined mannerisms, behaviors, outlooks, proclivities, all this sort of stuff creates a sort of pattern. And that pattern fits into not tightly, but loosely, fuzzily into a heading that helps me make sense of what's going on. So that's what I'm talking about when I'm talking about. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> oh God, I wonder if I should go on the sideways thing that I meant. You, you. I thought you actually meant. Oh, I, I actually mean what you think too. So I don't know. Okay. What do you think? I, mean? <laughs> I don't know. I'm 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 interested to hear what you okay, think. Okay. So what I thought you meant is, uh, the construction points of, like how you organize things. <laughs> oh god catrice's notes are very useful sorry um the basically start uh, how do i phrase this the yeah I, I was thinking more on an organizational level and not the fact and not the fact that uh i had a friend group where everybody where a lot of people were were organized by what guild, what Ravnik and Guild, the gameplay they find the most in, uh, engaging, which is, you know, a whole thing. Uh -huh. <laughs> well, what, I, what, what I've noticed is that RPGs have a good tendency to break down people by archetype, by virtue of necessity. Yes. That and, is. Yeah. Oh, I mean... If you're going to do anything in a game that's trying to reference the personality of people, you need you tend to have to be able to define what the personality type is. And there's a lot of different personality definition types that we've used. So it's not really that weird that, like, you were describing people as, like, gangrels or vert or whatever like it, it it's perfectly reasonable it's not really that much different than what they do in businesses when you know they come in and it's like okay we're going to use like this four colors test to figure out which color you are and this will tell us about what type of a worker you're going to be and such yeah uh, i was going to say it sounds a lot like um any any form of like um distinction or differentiation and it's more that you you, it either resonates with you and that it, it's easy for you to contextualize like the world in that way afterwards um, or that like it's it's really well designed and it speaks well to the game design that it's something that you connect with and you can see yourself categorizing people or personalities or other things not just restricted to the uh, the game world but also in real world mm-hmm Right, where you can draw distinctions and resonate with, like, either either like you have an internal feeling that's like, oh, this I feel in a certain way that makes me want to behave like X, right? Like, I people describe themselves as like a barbarian. You get an understanding of how they see themselves in a way, right? Exactly, and whether it's uh, like I, I see myself as a cleric slash bard, or I see myself as a uh, Myers Briggs INTJ. Right. Like, these are 
the classification ways that I think like both are equally like, valid as right, yeah. types in that they are made up and mostly of what your attachment to them is. Uh, anyway, moving on. Right, but it, it helps you to inform a worldview of possibly yourself, but also of other people that you can kind of say, well, oh, I understand a little bit more of uh, the, the classification or the way that I can conceptualize people because it's it's neatly organized and it's not this like fluid mess of like everyone is different and along uh, a unique spectrum. It's easier to like chunk things up. Yeah. I think it also helps that people are able to see things in a way that kind of makes sense to them as well. Like, your class in, like, an RPG sense, like, there's plenty of, like, personality tests online that'll be like, which D&D class are you? And the thing is, each, anytime you take one of those tests, you're going to get, like, weird, conflicting answers based on like what the person who created the test thinks a given test like a, a given class should be categorized as so maybe they'll be like oh the barbarian is very open to rushing in ahead without thinking and they'll they're very friendly they'll they'll protect their allies without any thought for personal harm because they have like a d12 hit die i don't know whatever the point is that it's like this kind of thing it does kind of make sense for people because they can think of it in terms of oh this is something i can relate to i've played lots of video games i played lots of tabletop role-playing games i understand the concept of a class roughly so saying oh you're a wizard and you're you're a priest it's like okay that actually makes sense for these people right right and that's kind of what i'm getting at is like what's our you know do we have that because i think as rpg designers like we are trying to conceptualize worlds that have certain mechanical categories inherent in them in some sense, like they're expressing a certain kind of fiction. And the fiction that we're mechanically supporting is the stuff that's going to exist in that setting. So it, 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 I'm sorry. No, please finish your point because I just lost oh. my derail. No, I'm just saying. And so, and so as we think of things like that, I, I find it sort of inescapable that we, that I, I, I come to view things that happen, you know, in the real world through that lens as I'm trying to categorize and generalize mechanics out of it. Yeah, if you're trying to, if you're trying to simulate uh, something, a part of your worldview, then that's going to create a feedback loop inherently. Like, if, mm -hmm. if you are reasonably invested, that's going to spill over. Also, where a lot of the previous stuff comes from, like, uh, being able to identify people as things and like maybe having different ideas about them uh comes of like people tend to have people who are into RPGs tend to have a reasonable amount of emotional connection to you know the whole concept because they put a lot of emotional energy into this so they have they feel a greater meaning in what is even written there and 
there is a lot of resonance there that is fed back to them, etc. I would actually interject and say that RPGs are a little bit of a special case scenario as well because of the nature of how we tend to think about RPGs in terms of quantifying things like class, race, level, those kinds of things. Like when you look at almost any video game these days, they try to introduce RPG elements. If you look at, say, a corporation that's trying to do team building exercises and they're trying to gamify the work it's almost always rpgs or role playing that they fall back on for that because role playing and the structures that we're used to seeing for it kind of make a lot of sense for a lot of things also, Sabrina kind of wants to sneak in now, too. Oh. Like a ninja. Okay. Okay. If you want to say your thing, we can... Yeah, absolutely. Uh, how do I do that? Mm-hmm. If I speak. There we go. Boink. Maybe you can just... Oh. Door. There we go. There we go. Uh, I think it's working. Yep. Perfect. Okay. So when it came to some of this topic, I think that a immediate thing came to mind was the episode on meta roles. Um, a lot of RPG language specifically seems to go into the idea of rewording this in my head for a second, where we have the primary world of the actual play having at the table, the secondary world of what the pieces in the actual situation represents, and the tertiary world being what are the fiction worlds of the characters. So a lot of RPGs try to get people used to the language of conversation and jumping between those points. And then when it comes to meta roles, there's the idea of the cast having their own lexicon and abilities that can or cannot be performed uh, in that self. And a GM will have almost, they have their own section, their own guidance, and in parts it's restricted. So it's hard to imagine in part as with y'all being designers uh, what is a way to explain the way that play is done or the way that a mechanic is conveyed compared to something like a book uh, where like if you have something like a, a carol text or an, a classic book you have an introduction or preface with uh, previous authors trying to give interpretations or readings or giving a context to ground everything in where an rpg often presumes a legacy of cultural osmosis, um, like what some of the D&D texts talked about, where the preface of the fifth edition handbook talks about D&D as a legacy and a cultural product, uh, not necessarily its own. It, it presumes like the players and the people talking about already know certain things, like the presupposition that, yes, this entire system of morality where an entire race of people, like species of race of people is evil, is just understood. Um, mm. Where other people wouldn't understand that it might be simple as like, What's it? Um, Le Guin having a three-page sto- short story about. Uh, yes, the the monster the whole time is a white person, and it's a curse that un- inverts a werewolf story, so that the sun makes them into a human. Where Dean would be like, "What do you mean a human's good?" So there's a lot of jank and difficulty because the fundamental core assumptions are different. Hmm. Yes, I. Hmm. Okay, that's an interesting lot of stuff. 
Uh, maybe I'm not exactly clear on your. Is there a question there or a point that you're? Um, wait, wait, I guess what? I guess the the main point is that when it comes to designing, um, mm -hmm. what are the how much of it goes into introducing the language of the lexicon of the book, like Ashes, the way that when I was okay. reading it was having to understand what you were trying to do and explain my own experience in my notes, but a lot of it was having to see what do you mean by this. Right. And a lot of RPG knowledge presumes language that other RPGs will learn, uh, will like teach or learn, but then you have story gamers, non-story gamers having semantic arguments. So it seems as though a lot of it is just presuming le uh, legacy or previous lexicon knowledge. And so how did you go about that? And does it seem as though that's its own barrier? I have gone in circles. Apologies. <laughs> Interesting question. Yeah, because you have to, right? You have to assume a certain amount of, of knowledge on the part of the reader, no matter what. You have to assume shared language, at least. And then there's some RPGs, I noticed, don't assume anything and try and explain the activity from the ground up. Which is basically a full book in and of itself, even before you get to the game. Yeah, can, it, it certainly can be. Um, yeah, the, those explanations can be long and detailed. I've seen that. Uh, and I suppose there are, you know, to, in order to get people to the table faster, you assume a certain level of buy-in, or you assume, and RPGs have this, I have a built-in mechanism um, for mimetic spreading, right? They have the person who wants to run the game for the other people, presuming presuming that the, the game has a GM. But even if it doesn't, usually it's one person has the book and gets their friends to play. So that assumes no no, no but, but that let me let me just finish that point because it's, it's important because as a, as an author or designer of an rpg you can assume that there's somebody there with enough buy-in to want to play your game to want to understand it enough to explain it to other people now if you can't get that level of buy-in that's a different problem but you you kind of have to write your your the text with that assumption that you're trying to explain it to somebody who's going to be to a second party who's going to be actually implementing the text mm, and is. so you've got this 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 stacked like <laughs> trying to help somebody understand how to explain something is a different different task than just like writing a book right and there's there's an element of pedagogy to it when it's it's layers of teaching people different things and then if different tables or groups like you may have a group that plays five years together and the memes or jokes that they use or entire interpretations of rules can be different mm -hmm. this is just, just interesting to think about when the, it comes to that the thing i wanted to get at as well was that even if you've got say one person that's going to have the book and there may be a lack of memetics and such present so far but they have the buy-in they want to teach the game to the other people 
they may not have the language needed to actually do so. Like that was one of the problems that I ran into when I first started to do uh, RPGs was the book did not give the information that was required to actually understand a lot of it. Like it was assumed that you would be playing under a GM or at least there'd be another player at the table who had played an RPG before. It turns out if you do not have that, it, there's a lot of extra information that's just assumed that other that somebody at the table at least knows how to play an RPG. If you don't have that, it actually makes things incredibly complicated and kind of difficult. Like even if you have the buy-in, if you want to do the thing, but mm. you don't know how to do the thing, yeah. it can cause an issue. And it's like there's there's a lot of information to cover like that to the point that you almost need a separate book to teach you how to do RPGs in general before you have the game itself right. specific. It's, um, it, it's interesting because I, I see a correspondence between RPGs and esoteric or religious texts because it's assumed that there's an oral tradition that goes along with the text that allows you to actually understand the text because without it, it's just kind of like, I don't know what to do with this. And there's supposed to be, there's supposed to be a person to person transmission going on. Um, and I think Kat, you speak to that. Like there's, there's, I, most of the games that I started out playing were taught to me first before I ever read the book. Like, yeah, that, that echoes. Yeah. But then yeah. it's also people will have different teaching styles, or if they say ignore that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> quick, quick, quick reference sheets exist, but there's also like the funny thing about like, okay, well, given it's in part about language and methods of socializing that are different, but then the way that someone can be taught can be incredibly different, which means that transferring those skills or language can be its own issue. Well, its own minefield, I guess. I wouldn't say it's issue, because a lot of RPGs have one feel like they could be edited better with with being bloated, and two entire terms just go over your head unless you have other assumptions or language from other books. It's oh, this if if you read this other core book, then certain things are fundamentally changed. Mm. If nothing else, like. I do think every game should have, like, at the very absolute least, just a glossary of terms that that game tends to use and clearly define each one. Like, even something as simple as, I attack an enemy. Like, what do you mean by attack them? Right. And, and even a glossary saying, like, it depends at the table or certain rules, because you have the, the, the half joke, half serious of sometimes game designers having to clarify their language on Twitter when it's some, something doesn't, something in language doesn't sound like it's right here. Hmm. Also, there is, sorry, there is one thing that you had mentioned a while ago, Supreme, like when you first hopped in, you covered like a bunch of things. I want to get this before I forget was that you were mentioning that there was 
basically different tiers or different layers of conversation going on at the same time. And they were basically separate, such as like, you know, the player conversation, the character conversation being separate from one another and distinct. So like a player could reasonably say, oh, I have a plus five to sensing traps kind of thing, right? But the characters themselves would never actually say that in almost mm -hmm. all games because it's like character doesn't know they have a plus five to that. They just know right. they're good at sensing traps. <laughs> Which is also a difficulty because it means that um, my brain's going to Tolkien literary theory because that was a recent thing that was talked about. Um, which is basically the idea that um, suspension of disbelief is bullshit because the world should have internal logic. But then when it's being constructed on the fly through play, that's a different situation. So that we're in a game like Spire or Heart, the, the actual math is less complicated. So if you're rolling kill, like there, there was an episode of the podcast that was talking about, okay, you're rolling mend or kill here because whatever you roll, the ontology of the world itself can understand you're trying to kill this thing. So that when mm -hmm. there's a lot of math involved, it's it can cause a lot of issues because it then turns a social situation into one about numbers. So the type of conversation and the levels of language are different where you say, oh, my character is doing this or I embodying the character am doing this. Then instead of the conversation of play always becoming, okay, here's what we think might happen or taking a step out of the character says, this character may know this is wrong, but as a player, I'm doing this intentionally. On learning that's its own set of skills, like learning acting, and then the way that those small transitions work in play can also be their own form of barrier of language, because it's um, you have like social sciences and the way that people talk about nerd culture can be very punching down, but then sometimes nerd culture can be very self-flagellating. So it's a little bit how to bridge those gaps. Yeah, the, the tier of play thing interesting because when you get used to it, anything that's not the specific tempo of tier switching that comes to mind feels wrong, if that makes sense. Uh, it's, it's like when you're getting used to a certain conversation style and then you just have suddenly have to go into a completely different environment with different people. The, the thing that you'd mentioned about like the nerd culture in general, I think that's also something that people, especially now that we have role-playing is starting to get into the more mm -hmm. broader populace. Like, it, it's only just starting to get in there. It's not really entrenched yet as something that normal people do, but it is starting to get in there. And it's that you're going to have to realize that the people that have been doing this for years, decades. They're used to being the social outcast. They're used to people beating down on them, looking at them poorly about this kind of thing. And when you have a subculture that feels oppressed in general, mm -hmm. one of the first things that they do is they build themselves up and say, well, everybody else is clearly at fault. We're absolutely amazing. And everybody else is the problem. So there's going to be some issues in there as we start integrating new people that 
haven't gone through like the period of you know being looked down on for playing like a an rpg where people are gonna like the older players are definitely going to some degree look at them as being the equivalent of privileged in modern terminology mm-hmm. of well you never had to have right, you, you never had to deal with 3.5 uh D and you have it so easy in this thing as a that's a something i've heard before i mean that's i think yeah it's talking about being literally punched down on oh God. yeah i i was meaning yeah. like not just yeah you, not just you didn't have sense, but you don't have yeah. to deal with thaco you also don't have to deal with the inside of what a garbage can looks oh, like yeah or a satanic panic. <laughs> yeah, things like that. Well, I mean, I, mean, I, but that's, <laughs> <laughs> I, I bring okay. that to myself. That's not DMD's fault. Explain. Well, I'm curious. It's not, yeah. Well, like it is not DMD's fault, but in a sideways way. But that's not, right. I'm not using well, like, DMD as a. Right. You're not using it as a proxy, but now I'm curious. I think you mentioned like you have a history with RPGs. I think more compared to me. So has your language and engagement in that way changed? Like the I think you mentioned, you know, people different when they're younger. So I guess have you noticed your own language or the way that you engage with however broad nerd subcultures are? How that's different? Oh, that's an interesting question. Yeah, like how has that changed? How is like my RPG? lexicon like shifted i mean it's just grown with every game I've, I've played or read i suppose right so it's just the sum total of all of that stuff which is a lot i guess i don't know it's, it's more than some not as much as others so there's you know there's definitely people that that are that have more raw knowledge of uh, just you know, books read or games played under the belt. I'm not claiming like I have a right. huge amount of. I mean, there are games that I played a long time, and so I have a deep knowledge of them. Like you know, D and D three five. I would probably still play without referencing any of the books too much. Um, right. Fourth edition probably also, although that's actually harder. To play without referencing the books weirdly enough if uh, in between levels anyway doesn't matter um but as as um as i've grown the the way those games inform my lived experiences change too so i i remember like gurps was incredible gurps third edition was incredibly comprehensive as a as a simulationist rpg uh and it was really interesting to a kid like me because it was it was almost like a manual for a platonic worldview in a sense where it was like here here's how you can categorize like just about everything and give it a point total and implement it and sort of it it helped me organize my thoughts about the world a lot for sure but i I don't think every game is like that i think like gurp's third edition was uniquely positioned in in that era 
in you know in the late late 80s early 90s to be to be that kind of thing because it did i don't know if there were any other games at the time that had that sort of well let's just let's just simulate reality and make the randomizer of you know the 3d6 bell curve and that's like let's just account for everything like you know you want well, there, there were, there's there's nobody who was as deep into it as Gert. So there was a lot let's try to simulate a, let's try to build a physics engine into this rpg but mm-hmm. also have a randomizing factor yeah yeah although most of those used d100s not 3d6 so <laughs> yes <laughs> you know but it's interesting as rpgs have gotten away from that or at least i mean i don't i wouldn't i don't think you could claim that D is in any way simulationist and i think it's way less simulationist now than it used to be. I don't think that it ever like thought it was. Right. Well, mm, there was. Feels like it was trying to be. I haven't played editions other than five, but there was uh, trying to be kind and talking about some of the elusive shift. Mentioned how back in the day there was this idea of some war gamers would have particular language or ideas of playing compared to sci-fi communities or sci-fi fantasy communities wanting more story based and that would get into various debates so there's a little bit of an echo of that here mm-hmm. i can definitely say that at least in second edition ad and it, it did want to simulate certain things to be as accurate to reality but it, it made even though it was making great liberties in terms of well, this isn't going to be perfect. We're kind of oh, there's a term for it, but I forget it off the top of my head. But we're we're basically going to deal with the fact that this is not a perfect analogy, but it should at least try to model something as close to reality as we understand it. It doesn't try to model do all that the polar is what Oh god. <laughs> Bullet speed travel in some games too. That sort of thing. That's something some games do. Yeah, I'm immediately thinking ops and tactics. Yeah. I'm just trying to think. Uh, okay, so I always hear that D&D had like a list of 3,000 pull arms, but was it just like the way D&D weapons normally are, where all of them just kind of... Is it just another shopping list? <laughs> <laughs> like, 90% of them had the same stats, or did, or was there a version of D&D where all the different mm-hmm. pull arms rooms had different stats. Yeah, there was a version of D&D. Where all oh, no. stats. Uh, was it just and, like a and very... it depended if you were if if you were uh what what size of creature you you were wielding against was the damage type. So the dice the di- the damage die changed depending on the target you were wielding the pole arm against. That's beautiful. That's horrible <laughs> but it's <laughs> That's horrible. <laughs> but, That's a very succinct description of that. Oh, no. That's beautiful, but horrible. Okay, so it was real. I I, I just assumed yeah. that there was like, it was like the versions of D&D that I have seen where it's like, the, the difference between a greatsword and a great axe is one of them d- is an axe and one of them yeah. is a sword. A, a D12 damage versus 2d6 and then a bunch of people do math and figure out 
What's two better? Two is objectively better, but uh, yeah. <laughs> no, they. A lot of the older versions did have much more picky attempts to describe things like how much food you needed in a given day, like right. if you were exerting more uh, stuff like what stuff was worth in terms of money but it was really weird because like some of the stuff was taken from actual historical documents like oh yeah this is what an actual sheet of parchment paper would have cost at the time it's like yes but you have magic now this yes. changes the costs of things yes and also what when you try to import things from real life, including like various systems of economics and culture that can lead into a lot of wild, are you accidentally doing a racism or a breaking the economy situation? And then also that's, can that's be fine. like, you I can't... thought this was supposed to be fantasy. Well, Just fantasy assume you're part. doing a racism and don't worry about it. Yeah, they <laughs> did not <laughs> talk about it. Yeah, yeah, just forget about it. You're not. You're gonna. So why not? Don't bother. The economy of D and D is perfect because everything has an esoteric, universally accepted value that is yes. inherent. That is an inherent property of it. Yep. Yeah, a thousand gold piece diamond is the same diamond every single time. Yeah. Yes, and they just universally exist and form naturally in nature. Also, gemstones are much more common in general, but that's a whole other discussion. Right. And gold piece weight too. Don't forget that one. Oh God! <laughs> like oh, it gave no. weight. Like uh, a great sword has a gold piece weight. Weight and gold pieces, because that was the, the weight you were carrying out of the dungeon mattered, mattered way more than anything else. <laughs> this is a confused system, ladies and gentlemen. Yes. This and burning wheel is, is taking that idea of language and taking is, the entire other direction. I, I, I want to point out. I want to point out that that one of my no, I'm not no. Go ahead. <laughs> okay, never mind. It, it was it was a thought. No, I'm just gonna. Well, you brought it up. Make the thought <laughs> and move on I with think, it. I think I think D and D's D and D's um mode of play is responsible for a non-trivial amount of problems in our society because of our because of its esoteric landscaping. I mean, honestly, you're not wrong. It's like as as a, as a set of topologies, there's a degree when it's like in in trying to explain differences or another game, get getting the immediate reaction of you're ruining fantasy then just makes my brain want well, to blow. Well, well, here it is. Well, here it is. Like really simply, it's like yeah. uh what's the game about? Well, it's about killing things, taking their shit to get better at killing bigger stuff. Right. And uh, then you then you say you're the good guy because you wrote good on your character sheet. Yep, colonialism go burr. <laughs> so. And then it's just yeah, exactly. That's I mean, it's just it, it's theft and murder, but we're the good guys. And it's like, hmm, does that sound like any countries I know? Uh, it's 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 hard to uh, it's it's hard to sort of get out of seeing that. Yeah. Once you start playing it again, you're just like, okay, well. I'm along for the ride, uh -huh. and I'm going to have fun, because otherwise I'm going to ruin this 11-year-old's day. Yeah, no. Or, or ruin this 30-year-old person's day when it's like... For sure, uh, yeah. I, I think know. that one actually goes a lot further back than D&D itself. Like, oh, yeah. that basically no. is, like, it's essentially... It's just popularized now, is all I'm saying. 
No, I mean, it, it was popularized before d d It was basically every fairy tale was like that. Like, even before d d was a thing, we had, like, Jack and the Beanstalk. These, right. This yeah. is the kind of well, mindset that d d is trying to well, it goes back. It goes. It goes back even to Columbus too. When it was, when you read some of the diaries, it was like this person was just a piece of shit. But then all of his stories about how he was helping the Great Khan and this and this and this, and then ideas and language of oh, nobles in this set of universes are always seen as good, and often very white. All those things just keep going when it just seems like. But other places over there, they're at least trying to make steps towards other things and games like Spire and Heart try to kind of act as language inverting things about no this, these people actually have emotions and empathy but then can fall into their own traps of their own like the midwife classes trying to play with certain stereotypes and then falls into other ones so it's yeah. younger designers are doing work with that but it's weird to think about how much all this language just keeps going and going in that way. One thing I'd like to point out for something that D&D itself is actually explicitly to blame for is the mindset of there always being a 5% to succeed or fail at something. Because that isn't very reasonable. It doesn't no. have much practical application to reality, but it's spilled out way past D and D. Like oh, yes. there was a ton of video games that drew on that same thing, and they specifically got like their math thing from D and D, like oh. Diablo and Diablo Two, for example. Five percent. There's always a five percent chance to miss. Always a five percent chance to hit. Like, no matter what is explicitly based off D&D's D20 system. This is not just limited to video games. It's been extrapolated far beyond video games. But that I'm pretty sure D&D was the original source for this. And it's something that has spread out from that point. That we now have this kind of built into... The mindset of people as a whole because they've seen it all their lives like not just from DD but other games other sources there's always this mindset that well there's always a chance to succeed and there's not and there's always a chance to fail and there's not <laughs> yep. yeah right. i think that's a, that's an interesting that's a that's a really that's one that i wasn't thinking of that's at all when this started but like that's very salient. I've heard many people describe things like that, like in like using that pretty exact mindset. Like, well, there's always a chance to roll an after 20. Right. Or even like <clears throat> education in a way, certain systems are about the idea of you, you have to shore up your weaknesses, but then there's always a chance of success when that's not always ideal. And like D&D is not the only source of that, but it's a collection of like dominant fantasies there like the idea of everyone being able to be a hero or certain models of heroism now that expands the stuff like military or cultural objects or the way that people act and even then like in part the way that language of rpgs or 
that sort of idea may, it doesn't fully encourage socialization per se, but there's a debate of you're creating in groups and out groups through language, including we don't have to change our language as part of that. Get to how off topic we've gone, but this is at least interesting related to the topic. Yeah, well, you know, we we don't adhere to topics. And in fairness, D&D got that from war games, but... No, I think this is still on topic. Like, it is, like it's, it is the esoteric landscape skill. It is still, like, the yeah. way that we talk about the game and how we talk in the game has spilled out into reality. Like, that's something that I don't think we can fully avoid. I don't necessarily think it's something we should try, even be trying to avoid in the first place. Like, any time you have any form of media, it doesn't matter if it's an RPG, a novel, a video game, a movie, doesn't matter. There's some kind of message that's in there. And some of it might be built into like an RPG's mechanics. Some of it might be built in to the language that's being used, but the message is part of those things and it's conveyed through those things. Like a lot of the thought of my game and how I've built it specifically is to emphasize the concept of your choice does matter. There are things that you can do that can alter the position that you're in. You may not want to do them, but you can do them. You can alter the outcome of your fate. It's not set in stone. That's built into the game. If And it's not just the game's mechanics. It's the game's language. If you talk about the game in the game's language long enough... It's going to be difficult not to think about things in that way. Oh yeah. And I kind of wanted it that way. Yeah. It's it's, it's the Cohen when you start using language of nuclear defense, you're just going to have trouble getting out of anything else. And RPGs can have that. Right. Speeds, which also relates to designer responsibility or intent. Yes. That, yeah. Agreed. I mean, I think that's that's it. That's, it's why I bring it up because I've been struggling with so much of the language <clears throat> because I know I'm talking about this kind of mapping um, pretty closely, and it's it. I, I anticipate people will use it in that way uh, because I'm using it in that way, and it's, it's becoming more functional the more I'm using it. So. At least it's working, uh, but it, it it makes me want to survey how other people have found value, or perhaps what dead ends people encountered, and then had to switch it up when these sort of these sort of vocabularies took over, and your mind started mapping mapping your experiences into RPG boxes. I, I'm, I'm curious about that. I, I'm not really, I mean, I know for me, it, it helped it, you know, having an alignment system in D&D was like something that my adolescent brain sort of wrapped around and was like, oh, okay, I sort of understand that, but I don't think that's the way the world works, right? 
but it did give me a way to categorize certain actions right i could i could understand certain certain behaviors as chaotic evil like that would be like murder right would be like a chaotic evil behavior even you know that not would make, not necessarily make a creature chaotic evil like in right it's it's a shorthand of simple explanation right. so that it's not as much questions right 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 i mean it's it's, it's not dissimilar from those 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 meme boards where it's uh-huh. you see you know here's all the alignments and it's like all the characters from star wars or marvel aware of that right it's but it uh i remember having those thoughts and then like being like okay that's not really how things are but mm-hmm. but that using that as like a, a useful shorthand stuck around for a while right, right. because it was just it was just it was such a useful shorthand. And I think that's why it's still functional today and why the memes persist because it's such a, even if it's, it, it throws things into this, these weird boxes mm-hmm. where you're now like, you know, you're, 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 you're trying to squish round pegs into square holes. Right. And, and you're losing something or, or it's, it's losing like nuance, but then what, right. when the actual larger system's trying to move to nuance of language while keeping the non nuance language. Exactly. Yeah. 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 You're trying to, you're trying to expand the symbol, right. But instead of expanding the symbol out to encompass something else, you're actually confining the symbol yeah. into the re- definite language, but it doesn't really fit it. It's, it's a lower resolution hologram of the higher right. relational symbol. Right, and then just thinking about what you're saying when it comes to language, there are some examples of like people discovering gender stuff through play, or having language to describe feelings if they're neurodivergent, Um, like which is again, Mm -hmm. games are not fully therapy, and important to distinguish that sort of thing from professional therapy, quote unquote professional therapy, and systems and training and all that. Yeah, Um, quote unquote professional. How 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 professional is (laughs) that? Depends on the country, the healthcare yeah. system. <laughs> yeah. I, don't, I don't know. I think some of the best therapy is the therapy we do on ourselves with. This is with true. People who love yeah. us. So. Oh yeah. yeah, but then there's a degree where certain memes or situations can become their own communities, and language can become well, yeah. language is a weapon as much as anything else, but can be used as weapon. Yeah, is. it can be. Yeah, it's it's not inherently one like propaganda is a tool, language is a tool. Yeah. Um, I guess in my experience, the best thing that comes to mind is oh. go ahead. No, 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 no. Oh. Um, the media thought was the first time I played Apocalypse World, and having that why we play page as a very clear idea of intent and conversation. As like, mm-hmm. oh, this is what this is about. This is a conversation, and at the time being a very um, academically minded social people things don't matter person and saying oh well this thing is something i can enjoy and i can enjoy being around people and then engaging that to what if i want to talk about an rpg with someone or playing kingdom for the first time and engaging with partially teaching the game with someone which is a way that the medium is going but a lot of it can be well this um at least some people i've met can be this is the way the game is done or um, mm. this is the way the language is, which is its own situation and not necessarily a game's fault, but it it can be something ingrained fundamentally, uh, right? Like the idea of an interpretation of religion or someone's politics can be the same. Some people treat a game like that because it means a lot to them. 
Well, actually, there's a specific example that does kind of stand out, which is a language issue for RPGs, which is like Game Master as a term itself. It's it's starting to fall out of use. Like there's Dungeon Master in D&D, but then more broad term became like Game Master. And like we had a very early episode about this, I believe. I barely even remember it, but it was like... Master doesn't really fit the role very well for like what a game master does. Like I tried to just use the term GM because it's more generic and it doesn't specify them that it's necessarily going to be game master. And it's not just because GM's encompassing by both like oh game master game mistress it's like neither of those really fit the position well it's like what do we call it like so many games try to rename it but none of them really stick honestly well master implies like a hierarchy and authority go ahead what and i was gonna say is a lot of the games that i read that try to rename it are trying to rename it universally like none of them are trying to come up with the universal name they're trying to get their own like they're making it part of their branding, if that makes sense, like mm-hmm. in universe term. Like, I, I'm not gonna call. I'm not gonna start calling the person who runs the game the Firefly and everything just because the Wildsea uses it, and it's a very <laughs> good term. It might be fitting in that situation, but it doesn't work for an over-encompassing thing. Like, yeah. even if you say like the narrator or the storyteller, it, it's still not accurate for... Yeah, yeah. which is like, no. Go ahead, Rob. I don't know, I just like, guide works. I mean, I, I've yeah. seen guide a, a couple of times now. Um, so, like, I, I, it's, I mean, Ashes is convergent with a couple of other games where, that like, guide is... <clears throat> I think guide is the most like the most accurate general description of what that person is trying their best to do. I guess so you guide to what is depends on a lot. Guide or facilitator are the two that come to mind is more Yeah, popular. I heard facilitator too. Yeah. But like, guide like is yeah. better mouthfeel. Yeah. Even those have significant issues. Like a guide still implies things that are almost antithetical to the position. Like the implication of a guide is that, oh, well, the guide knows the way to the destination. It's like, let's be fair about the GM's role in this. They have no clue what's going on half the time. <laughs> this is the, the student tries to bullshit and they know they're doing it, but every time and then with game mastering it's ego plus trying to be a novelist or improv actor all in one giant ball of a mess in many cases yeah but it's like the idea just the concept that you have a guide who the players say i want to go to this castle over here and the guide is supposed to get them there. It's like, that's almost 
the exact opposite of what the guide actually usually ends up doing. It's like, oh, there's a big scary forest in between you and the castle that wasn't there five seconds ago that I just put there. It's like, that's big, big not scary. Right. <laughs> big scary forests are, are incredibly important to the local economy of people who get eaten by dragons. They are. <laughs> I mean, where else are you going to get all your magical reagents from? And plus, you need the big scary forest to get all the wood to build all the timber stuff in the castle. So you're always near big scary forest when you have a castle. Well, at that. least you started off near a forest. It may not be there anymore. Or the forest might suddenly go miles and miles, and one day the nobles in this other castle will find out that all their wood is sentient, sapping life out of them. Which, you know, mm-hmm. sometimes you have days like that. Sometimes yep. you have days like that. Tragic. Yeah, my my point was really just that the GM is not really a guide either. Like, I don't know what we could call it because it's like, I think we'd had like a a thing that uh, I think that Karis Moore had been kind of close on his, and I forgot get the term that he used for it. Well, but it clearly wasn't that perfect. I mean, sorry. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, well, it was a non-English term. It was like okay. Latin or something, if I recall. Yeah. Um, well, that has its own flaws. That was GM for his. No, something. It was definitely something else. I'm trying to remember off the top of my head. Okay. Well, apparently you're not going to remember off the top of your head, but if you do remember it, be sure to include it in the episode notes. I shall try. Okay. Oh, wasn't that that weird portmanteau or something? It was. Like some strange Greek-derived thing. It's off like a door warden or something. I forget. Maybe it was... Oh, yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, the point is. Hmm? I missed what you said. Oh, I said it didn't stick. No, no. it did not. No. And I don't think it would have, especially because it's a non English term that people would have a hard time remembering it as we're doing now, despite that we vaguely remember it. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, why, what's your specific problem with guides? But they they take you places. They they guide you through things. They make things up as they get, they make things up about the landmarks you see on the spot. Mm-hmm. You know everything. Guides. I I mean, like one of the biggest things is that they're not really guiding you to the destination that you say you want to go to. They're basically this is more like the cheap awful guide in quotation marks that's ex- exploiting the uh, the tourists where it's like yeah we want to go over here and do this adventure and it's like okay I'm going to throw as many detours into this as I possibly can also I'm going to uh, charge you for going so what do you yourself. win 
you have so many assumptions baked into all of what you're saying. Yeah, it's just true. What's actually? all this about detours? It's true. It, it, no, it's not. Which, which is also a weird thing about it, which is how much game master or dungeon master as a term has just been synonymous so that deviating from that is its own situation that needs to be resolved or figured mm-hmm. out. What? It is weird that there's dungeon master, but... I was, re- I, was, I was referring to the fact that the, the person's job is to put obstacles in the way. Not how is that... Happen? That's an assumption that's not necessarily the case. Oh, that's true, yeah. No, it's something that you do often see, though. Like, extremely yeah, often. Uh, it's not always, though. I, I will totally agree with you on that. So, so but, but it depends on what the game is, right? So, like, yeah. it depends on if, if the game demands that of, of the person, then I think calling them the game master is probably fine. Because... You, you are the master of all these the dungeon like you are the dungeon yeah. master you're the master of the dungeon you are putting monsters in it and 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 controlling it as if you were its master so i'm not like i think there's right. there's not, it, it's not i don't know that there's there's a universally appropriate term i feel like right it, it probably depends on the like the branding is probably in there quite a bit yeah storyteller is a is yeah. Terrible. <laughs> yeah. it, sorry. Uh, storyteller uh, as like yeah. a term for a specific person in the table. It is a universal. Yeah. Is something that uh, I the, it just makes me feel bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I know. We never called it that when we played World of Darkness. We always called it GM. Yeah. When well, they I, asked who the, who the GM was. We said the GM was, you know, Greg or right. Seth or whatever the fuck it was. I'm trying to remember what we called it because I know we didn't use Storyteller either. And we started with World of Darkness. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, World of Darkness was our fourth, fourth or fifth game. So it was like, it wasn't, it was D&D, GURPS, Call of Cthulhu, World of Darkness. Like, pretty close in that order. Mine was... Yeah. Thinking about it, D and D fifth edition, Apocalypse World, D and D again, Burning Wheel, Blades in the Dark, then a giant mess of other games. Some failed, some imploded, some worked. Inspire as the start of a new phase. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then now my brain's immediately going to how Kingdom, the way that that uses language in a way as power perspective and touchstone have very specific roles and that's intentional even if the primary conversation at the table is supposed to be more open like the touchstone will always describe um the feelings of a community etc etc so that feels very rigid but that's more of a conversational style of game and there's no explicit hierarchical gm right but it's also mechanically almost it's enforcing that language yeah, right. Because it needs to, because there's almost no other mechanics, right? Right. Yeah. But then also, in the idea of a game master as the master of roles, then that means that the language of the game itself only matters as much as the, the GM's lexicon cares for it. And often, you have cultural stories of the GM exploiting the game or exploiting the players of like, oh, you didn't say you didn't do this, which is... Oh, well, that's... Um, okay. It's own kind of words. Oh, like, I'm not going to say it's a language. Right? 
like that's that makes sense and that's that's that that is worth addressing okay so here here's what i feel like the official flail forward position is on that those people are assholes yep (laughs) yeah yeah no i I can sign off on that one yeah i'm not even gonna argue with that the only thing i'd want to say is that well you didn't say you actually cast the spell, so now there's ogres. Uh, <laughs> right. I, I, my brain just immediately, like, I'm not going to say that the game itself incentivized that in the language, like, the way that people apply language of yeah. a game master is different than the actual language itself. But there's a slight weird of how much of this is the logical extension of these principles. Well, I think. And how much of it's something else. I think the very core of this, like just the concept of like game master, dungeon master, or whatever, like a lot of that was because of D and the fact that it was very adversarial. Like it was also that you know dungeon master rule zero, they're god, they they supersede the rules. Yeah, you do you do not argue with the dungeon master, at least you're not supposed to, because they get the final say on everything. That was kind of the concept. But because it set up this adversarial role where many of the people that played the the Dungeon Master role basically viewed it as they were trying to defeat or beat the players. But they had unlimited power to do this. Um, That kind of caused like a lot of these issues in the first place and i think some of that is actually the terminology that was used that was at fault was the concept of like calling it a dungeon master you are the master of the dungeon everybody's in a dungeon because dungeons dragons you were supposed to be in a dungeon even if a lot of the time you weren't but it was built around the concept that you were in a dungeon the dungeon master controls everything because right. they were I, I wanna, yeah you, I, I think that that point's well taken i do want to point out the, the fact that gygax and artisan particularly gygax uh mentioned many times that the gm should be extremely fair and by this he meant don't don't un- arbitrarily fuck over the players that it's right. it, because he he said often like no the whole point is you are trying to have fun yeah this, it, it was his philosophy that 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 that's what was happening and if that the GM was doing a good job and that that was like if you read about the games that he ran he they he, they were very loose right they were very very loose like he if if players could sort of like narrate their way out of something right Real generally cool he, sort of idea yeah he let them do it you know so there were there was even though the books, are, and I can I don't disagree that the books are very much written with yeah. that tone. Um, it's strange because the the I don't I don't know why his personal philosophy isn't expressed more in 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 the books. In the books, and then the the subcultures that came out of it, like some of the yeah. esoteric landscape, can be like in the way that an interpretation of an interpretation of an interpretation becomes a default or the the starting landscape to work with. Well, a think, lot of RPGs spin well, off from that. Yeah, I think 
there's yeah. two two issues here. Part of one is that it's do as I say, not do as I do, which or do as I do as I do, not do as I say, something like that. Because the issue is that what was written in the books is not the same as how he was playing the game himself. And there's also the issue of, well, what's passed down. Like, there was this strong oral tradition, as we covered previously. Like, how somebody learned to play RPGs. Once they learn that, this is the correct way to do it. And when they run into more people and they teach them how to play, they teach them to play the way that they learned. Yeah. Now, keep in mind that a lot of the shitty GMs, as we were talking about, like the ones that are extremely railroady, that they want to defeat the players, things like that, like a lot of these issues, or they just want to tell a story and the players and their characters are incidental. They just happen to be there as an audience. Like they shouldn't be able to affect the outcome of the story. It's like, okay, um, these are things that a lot of bad GMs will do by default. Like these are, normal to human nature like i am telling a story i am the storyteller i want to tell a story to people and people are trying to derail my story i will remove their agency so i can tell the story properly this is just something that happens in humans so it's not really surprising that this happened, nor is it surprising that once players have learned this, that future generations are taught that this is how you play the game. Uh-huh. I don't think it's a good way to do it. It's uh-huh. part of why I'm making my game in the first place. Is yep. I don't want that kind of thing. It's like, this is a terrible way to play the game. It's like, you have players there you have player characters they put a lot of time and effort into thinking out their character presumably and you're using you're completely wasting this resource if you don't use them like making a plot where you remove the player characters from the plot line basically so that they have no agency it's like why are you what are you even doing? Right. And it also presumes like the GM must have an idea of a plot or the plot must be like a static thing, which can be also reminiscent of it's assuming the players as passive vessels and the way that older education models have that and other education models now are trying to go into more teaching critical thinking as your baseline and using discussion as that sort of idea. And more RPGs are going that way. But because of the RPGs being relatively young and the language changing, but the size of the space being dominant with certain types of language, then that change is going to take a while. Okay. I just want to comment about passive players. Like, this is just a weird side comment, but uh, I recently finished up my Urban Shadows 2 campaign. Uh, Urban Shadows 2 gives... I have a problem with Urban Shadows 2. It is that it gives way too much, way too much stuff happens 
according to the rules. Anyway, what I was going to say is, I is at the end of the campaign, I went over all my like. There was a I had like rough notes for an intended plot, and I was like keeping it updated for fun. Yeah, <laughs> and I and the player and I casually mentioned this, and the players asked about it, and I act. And I don't think they realized exactly how quickly they, how quickly and how much they derailed even like small things into <laughs> <laughs> how quickly they they solved a problem that was supposed to be an ongoing problem in, in two sessions in a way that I was satisfied with. So, well, I guess I, I guess I have to make the plot about something else now. Um, right. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that problem, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, there is a definition of player that basically reads as player is that which derails all of the GM's plans. Yeah, it's, but... a, it's a joke or set of jokes at some point now. Yep, it yep. is, but it's very accurate. Yes. <laughs> it's fine. Yeah. It's fine. The, oh, yeah. The point of this is I consider my campaign notes if I accidentally make them to be basically fan fiction. Yep. <laughs> well, 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 that's a lot, a lot of RPGs making collaborative <laughs> fan fiction together. <laughs> oh, no, I consider them. I consider them fan fiction to the campaign. Yeah. <laughs> and then, then you do another campaign where the where like Don Quixote two or part two, the the first campaign becomes mythologized and uh, part of the world of the first game, and then you can hate on your old characters for being dumbasses. It's great. <laughs> I, I I very rarely visit the same characters, um, except um, to make stupid, extremely stupid callback jokes. <laughs> the best time. Yes. Yeah. To, to be fair, I, I have a lot this, of callback NPCs. That's yeah, yeah, very important. This is a very weird set of fan fiction, though, because it's basically going backwards. Not just in the sense of you write the notes and then the game ends up derailing it, so it's backwards in that way. But I also mean it in the sense that in most fan fiction, usually it's like, we took a serious setting and then we ended up making it silly. It's like, this is more fan fiction if, if you went into a comedy and then you're like, what if they took this seriously? Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, and that also that is an fun... entire genre, don't worry. Oh, yeah. Well, that's an entire oh. genre and a narrative style when that can become its own idea of people getting serious like it's a different game now also, brain's yeah i do need to clarify this is yeah. this is very important my notes are not more serious than what actually happened <laughs> <laughs> i i knew okay. i knew who i was writing for good you, you know your audience yeah. that's good yeah, that's well. you, that's uh 12 cavoirs from now yeah. <laughs> My campaign notes have at one time includes a phrase like "everybody gets killed by a giant butt." My, my most oh, not, not far off sometimes. My my most recent campaign notes thinking about it was when the GM asked, "How do you feel philosophically when we are talking to this AI god and you have a psychiatrist named Doctor Borges in a Lynchian style simulation mm -hmm. to figure out?" the direction of this ancestral technic 
technological theocracy. What? Yeah, no. Uh, it's wild. Love to have a philosophy major as your GM and go into some wild shit. It's, uh, yeah, no. It's, it's weird. And it's weird to try to start your game with figuring out what is this religion we want to make and play around with. <laughs> that, that, that's how, that sounds fun. Uh, your GM sounds like one of the people that is qualified to to run Noblis, so you should run that by him sometime. Anyway, it was a, uh, it was a D&D GM playing Beam Sabbath for the first time, and we were all helping out. It was it's great. Change is possible. We, we've we've worked right here. What was the game? Uh, Beam Saber. Beam Saber. Yeah. Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah, we've had Beam, the person who created that. On yeah, the Austin Ramsey had an interview on it. Yeah. And then the running joke of multiple of multiple players having dropped D D by the time like we're going to the current Kingdom game of we're doing a mid season finale in Kingdom, and then playing around with language and GM authority structures and all that. That's its own. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Boo GM authority structures. <laughs> Yeah. Yay! Unbreakable game authority structured imposed by the designer from the top down. Woo! Not uh, knows either, but okay. Yeah. <laughs> to, to be fair, uh, reading Ashes was... I don't remember writing those notes, but there was certainly a lot of emotions during that. that that's good. The different, but, different style, for sure. The, the, I believe that means that Rob's game is working yes. as intended. Oh, yeah. I am like eighty five percent sure. Oh yeah. Confirm, but um, yeah, yeah. We we've learned a lot about our own esoteric landscapes today. It's fun to sound it. Yeah. Yes. Uh, the question I have for Rob uh, before we finish this up, because maybe we should at some point. Oh yes. Uh, <laughs> is how has Ashes create like? It feels like this is true, but you can tell me I'm wrong. How is the working on Ashes as like a major part of your life created a feedback back loop and how you like how you think about things and like the language that you don't necessarily use, but that your <laughs> brain uses to organize things? I, I went from a hard scientific materialist to a person who doesn't believe in objects anymore. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> Was, about was, right. was there a point you noticed? <laughs> so yeah, the feedback loop is pretty is pretty damn severe. Uh, yeah, because I I noticed like a lot of it is deconstructing uh, like uh, modal psyches and inter and and the past, future, present. Yeah, as a fundamental construct, and just thinking like that for multiple hours of the day probably does mess with how you think in general, possibly in a positive way. Oh, and given, yeah, and given like what your intentions with the game are, it it seems like that isn't something that you would consider negative. Nope, that's that that working as intended. Yep. <laughs> it's uh, yeah. 
But well, I mean, I hope. I mean, it is it is uh, intended as a gateway, like like. I mean, it, no, it's not intended. I I didn't intend for it to do any of this shit. <laughs> I intend, my intent was I can make a better game than D and D because I know what's broken about D and D from my perspective. That was my intent, and 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 now this thing is. Uh, yeah, its own. It's it, it's now it's it's in it's designed towards being a esoteric landscaping tool, like the tarot or astrology or something like that. But it doesn't doesn't claim to be more or less than any of those. It's just for some people, this is going to work better than those other things. Right. It's it's like what's it like? It took nearly, or if not over a decade, I think, for you to get there from what i remember and it was it's weird it's getting weirder right oh yeah and the, the, what is that like the habits as an adult are technically harder to change and people think including mm-hmm. language so it's you know that's sort yeah. of thing all of my habits are being broken apart and reformed and i'm a different person than i was five years ago and it's very strange and it's strange for my wife right. too but she likes it so good enough but at least it's functional. Oh yeah. Yeah, I'm definitely, I'm definitely healthier and happier. I mean, if happiness is a gauge, I, I feel, I feel, I act in a way that would suggest to most people I am happy most of the time, even though when I'm really, quote unquote, happy, what I feel is nothing. Yeah, that's, yeah, interesting. I don't know. Oh, there was a lot of like. The way that RPGs are written can be very core assumptions about like the way that people think, and then giving people new ways to think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, giving people new ways to think, yeah. and then allowing them to embody those things with a group right. over right. and, and over again. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then you have like studies of people using. There was a what's that? Where's the academic journal? Analog game studies had a couple of like papers about how they used it for teaching in Brazil or in language classes. Mm-hmm. And also, the media that people consume can inform a lot about who they are, even yeah. though, you know, it's not a definition thing. Like, Stephen King isn't explicitly a psychopath, but that changes can do a lot in role-playing being more active. Right. It's embodiment, right? Because I, yeah. you're, you're, getting your, you're getting your motor neurons involved, mm-hmm. not just I'd, reading. I'd really want to see those studies at some point, because... I will question- like it. <laughs> Thank uh, you. In a second, I may or may not have suggested it to someone and I'm crossing my fingers to, hey, maybe we should use this as course material, but that's a faraway dream. So, Yeah, but my, my issue that I want, like the reason I want to look mm-hmm. at that is I want to see their methodology because there is a great potential risk for mm-hmm. messing up cause and effect in there because it's like, what media that you tend to consume it doesn't just it's not just that oh people of this type tend to consume this type of media it's also that as you consume the media it changes how you think about things which is kind of the nature of what we've been talking about this entire time so it's like this is potentially an issue of which came first the chicken or the egg kind of thing right Mm -hmm. It should be interesting right there. You've got four studies. Actually, I'm just going to read those out just yeah. for anybody listening. 
as Leak Attack Anthropology Experiences with Games in the College Classroom. Uh, the Incorp Incorporeal Project, Teaching Through Tabletop RPGs in Brazil. Uh, tabletop Role-Playing Games, The Modern, Fantastic, and Analog Realized Worlds. And the last one is Effective Networks at Play, Catan Coin, and The Quiet Year. Cool. So people can check those out, and those links are in our show notes, which are available in our Discord. Uh, just click on the episode and uh, all that stuff. Yeah, the link tree should be on there. And if you want to come and comment or talk on the show like I have, there's people there. So maybe it won't just be a few people alone screaming in the dumpster. No, that's what we do. We don't want more people in the dumpster. Otherwise, it'll look like we have, we're not crazy. Yeah. We're certainly crazy. So Jesus Christ, don't stay out. Go away. Uh, it's, yourself. it's fine. Do we want to uh, do we move into final thoughts or is there? Yes, any... final thoughts. Yeah. Hang on. We've been going for almost two okay. hours. Holy moly. Yeah, right. the, 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 about what I expected for this. Um, it's less than two hours because we didn't get started. Yeah, 85 minutes in. It's only an hour and a half. Months. See, we're fine. Yeah. Uh, uh, anyway, I have been Kavor. I, I was not leading this discussion. That was fake. I, I, I just got annoyed with people talking in circles at times. Uh, uh, good, uh, good night. It's always night where you are, etc. Catrice? Um, oh, the thing that I mentioned originally when we were first talking about the topic of discussion, I just want to sneak this in real quick. I have used the phrase before, actually semi-regularly at this point, where it's literally, I roll to disbelieve, with the die roll included in that even. Unfortunately, my luck is crap, so a lot of the times it ends up being okay. I guess I believe you now, for <laughs> the time being. <laughs> But yes, it is definitely a phrase that I've used because of playing RPGs. Yeah. I have also used the phrase I rolled to disbelieve in, in common in, in a conversation where there were no dice involved. How was the reaction to that? That person knew what I was talking about, so that was <laughs> good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and they were just like, yeah, no, it really happened. Uh so, but no, it, 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 those things enter our lexicon and they don't, they don't, you know, if somebody said that to me in a conversation, I would totally understand what they were saying, what their intent was and, and what the semiotics of that are, you know, they're signaling to me like a certain in-group thing, you know, and, and they want me to know that they are. They, you know, there's that that conversation that happens, and they want me to know that they're in, and I'm like, oh, cool, you're you're one of those, or that's the reaction they're hoping for, right? Or mm -hmm. I think I could go, ew. <laughs> I, it, it, but I don't not... obviously, but but I'm, what I'm saying is they're 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 signaling to me that they want to be in the in group, and then that's that's then you do you do that little dance, mm -hmm. you go ah yeah. I mean, there's also. Dealing with people that you do know already that 
understand these things as well. Like if you get somebody like a fancy gel pen or something for like a present, I don't know who gives pens, but you could, you could put a note in with it that says like, here's a pen of greater penmanship plus five and they would get it. Mm-hmm. I don't know anyone who would be who would give. Uh, we'll still use pens. Well, no, I I, I, use, I use pen. I, but, I I I work with old people. Um, that's fair. That's a half joke. It's fine. Even so, it's like, why did they ever give pens as like rewards for something? You've been with us for twenty years. Have a pen. It's like. Because pens used what? to be expensive. Yeah, and you ever really have, have you ever held a really really nice pen? They're really nice. Yep. Yeah, and also it used to actually cost like when that was first introduced, it used to actually cost a fair amount of money to to make a pen. Mm-hmm. Especially one like that. Yeah. Right. And now you have people giving really expensive custom made dice. Sure. Which is going full circle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like carved out of fucking alligator dicks or something no the most expensive one i've seen was thirty thousand because it was made from woolly mammoth bones wow yeah yeah woolly mammoth bones there you go and walrus walruses walruses have bones in their penises not alligators i'm sorry i got my i got my kingdom screwed up yeah the well no you're the right kingdom uh not species whatever the fuck (laughs) i'm not gonna get you i'm not gonna yeah. Anyway. Most mammals oh, yeah. do other than humans. We're kind of weird that way. Yeah. There and you go. Information you didn't know that you didn't want. Yeah. <laughs> oh, anyway. the people make clubs out of them. They're pretty cool. Anyway, Rob, closing thoughts. <laughs> um, whale bone penis, the RPG, coming soon. That, that's not true. First of all, the ARG. <laughs> Do anyway. the mermaids really want to touch this? Damn we had to get that in there. Damn it. <laughs> anyway, Sabrina, final thoughts? I enjoyed this conversation, and it's interesting to think about how language affects RPGs and going from trying to explain it to some other people my age and getting no understanding to this conversation gives me a lot to think about. And also... <laughs> Nerd this, culture is weird sometimes. This, this weird rambling conversation. Anyway, good night, everyone. Again, good night. Good night. Remember, it's always night where you are. It's always night where you are. Good night. <laughs>